Good morning, loved ones. What a, uh, what a blessing it is for the Lord to allow us to once again be able to gather and to sit under his preached word. Uh, if you've not already done so, I want to invite you to join me, John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. John chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. And before we read uh, God's word, I just want to make two words of introduction. And uh, one is that you may have noticed this on your way in. Uh, but we do have a new sermon card that's available, and so that's going to be highlighting uh, the remaining Sundays that we have in this year. So be sure and grab one of those um, on the way out. They are wonderful guides uh, to help prepare our hearts for um, what the Lord wants us to hear from his word week in and week out. The second is for our young ones, uh, the, the, <clears throat> the children who are here um, our pastors, we're thankful for all the little, uh, the, the little souls that we have in our congregation who are with us um, each week, and uh, we're so grateful to have you. And each Sunday, we do try to uh, keep the children in mind as we're preaching the Word. And uh, this week, uh, especially, or just uniquely, uh, for my own personal sake, God kept bringing many of your uh, names and many of your souls to mind, and so I want to encourage you to listen today. Um, it, 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 there's a, I think, a precious simplicity uh, to John chapter 1, 35 through 42, and uh, I, I hope that um, there will be many things from today's sermon, as Pastor Matt uh, prayed earlier, that uh, God would give you ears to hear his word, and that God would give you eyes to be able to see Jesus and that God would change your heart uh, so that your belief and your trust is in Jesus and in Jesus alone. John chapter 1, 35 through 42, hear the word of the Lord. Again, <clears throat> the next day, John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, what do you seek? They said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word, and let's join our hearts together in prayer. Father, thank you again for this opportunity. Open our eyes to see and our hearts to believe wonderful things from your word. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. The title of today's sermon is Come and See, and you see that titles come, that title comes straight from verse 39. Come and see, they came and saw. And so our outline this morning, though, is going to attempt to answer uh, this question. What does it mean to know and be known by Jesus? So it's an, another way to understand coming and seeing Jesus? What does it mean to know and be known by 
Jesus. Earlier this week, uh, in a conversation with a few other pastors not connected to Grace Church, a question was posed to me. Um, who is somebody who's been of significant influence in my life? And uh, some, somebody that you met, somebody that you know. And uh, the first name that popped to mind was David Pallison, uh, who was for about 40 years the executive director at CCEF, uh, a counseling ministry. And uh, they asked, so what were some of the shaping influences of Pallison in your life? And I pointed quickly to some of Pallison's writings, uh, I pointed to uh, some of his uh, books. Um, I identified two classes that I had taken under David Pallinson that had a really unique and significant influence in my life. And then I followed that with, but I've never met him before. And he has no idea who I am. In fact, uh, you could put me in a lineup of one, of one and uh, you could ask him, point out Nathan Sawyer, and he would look and say, I, I have no idea. I have no idea. I'm, I'm, one person in front of me, but I have no idea if that's him or uh, not. And so I knew of him, but he had no idea who I am. If you've been visiting with us, you may have heard us say to you before that when, when people are visiting, we sometimes encourage them. We often encourage them. We, we want you to get to know the church, not just the preaching ministry of the church, but we want you to get to know the members of the church, and we encourage our members to get to know not only one another, but get to know people who are visiting the church. We want you to be known. We want to know you. And on a horizontal level, to know someone always involves pursuing this person. We might ask questions like this, who are they? What are they like? How has God made them? What are their interests? Being known by others also requires that we avail ourselves in letting others pursue us. Letting them know this is who I am. These are my strengths. These are my weaknesses. We read a few moments ago of what the first two days were like for the first few disciples of Jesus. This is day three and day four of the first week of the earthly ministry of Jesus. The characters that we have here are John the Baptist, Andrew, also an unnamed person here that just about everybody assumes is John, the son of Zebedee. Andrew's brother, Simon Peter, and Jesus, who this text refers to as the Lamb of God and the Messiah. So as we walk more slowly and methodically through this text, I want us to keep this question before us. What does it mean to know and be known by Jesus. Keep this question in the forefront of our mind because this is a firsthand eyewitness account that we have the privilege to, uh, to get to be able to study today. So children, let me draw your attention in each of our to our outline today. Here are the six words that you can write down in your notes or that uh, I'm sure uh, that many of you will probably be able to remember before the sermon is even over. Here are the six words. Look hear, follow, seek, come, and tell. Here are the six words again. Look, hear, follow, seek, come, tell. These are six words that we see clearly here 
in the verses read just a few moments ago. Let's look at the first one. Remember, keeping the question in mind, what does it mean to know and be known by Jesus? Look. John the Baptist looked at Jesus and said to Andrew and the other disciple, behold the Lamb of God. This word look involves an intent, earnest gazing. It's not a casual glance, but it's a look with a focused intent underneath it. Andrew and the other disciple were disciples of John the Baptist. They were not yet followers of Jesus. But in this moment, John the Baptist was looking for the opportunity with his disciples to point to Jesus, to identify Jesus to his disciples. So to know and be known by Jesus means that as a discipler, have in mind John the Baptist here, you take advantage of the, other, of the opportunities given to you to do what? To point out Christ. To point to Jesus. So if you're here and you're not yet a Christian, I want to encourage you to look at Christ. Take heed to those words from John the Baptist. Behold, the Lamb of God. But I also want to warn you of this, that it's not enough to only look at Jesus. You must also hear what he has to say. So we have look, now we have hear. The two disciples heard and listened to the words of John the Baptist. This is picked up again in verse 40. What specifically were the words that they heard? Look at the lamb. The lamb of God. Those were the words that John the Baptist spoke to his two disciples. And I want to draw out two aspects and draw your attention toward these two things. John spoke and the disciples listened. He spoke clearly about the person and work of Jesus and the disciples listened to what he had to say. Here's a moment where we learn in some ways about what effective discipleship consists of. These these men were disciples of John the Baptist. He understood his role as a forerunner for the Messiah. He was not, when I say he, referencing John the Baptist here, he was not amassing a following for himself so that others would become enumerated with him, but his role was to say, look at him. Let me tell you about Jesus. A genuine discipler will regularly point you to Christ. He or she will be quick to see their assignment as one of God's designed ways to be a pointer to Jesus Christ. He's moving toward Christ. He is putting his disciples in closer proximity to Christ. Let me state this very clearly. John the Baptist is not the Lamb of God. John the Baptist is not the Messiah, but he knows who is. We learned earlier in verse 6 that John the Baptist is a man sent by God to be a witness, to testify about the light. God had sent him here to tell others about God's only begotten son so that all might believe through him. So the only disciplers worth listening to are those whose words make clear their allegiance 
is to Christ and whose example demonstrates that their assignment is from God. Again, what were the words spoken to the disciples? Behold the Lamb of God. This might have been the first occurrence for Andrew and the other disciple. If the, un, if the unnamed disciple were someone other than John to have heard this description. In day one, this is what he has to say, I'm not the Christ. Day two, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Day three, behold the Lamb of God. Do we, are, we, are we seeing the pattern of the ministry that's here? What he cares primarily about. He wants the Lamb of God to be known. Verse 40, they heard John speak and they followed Jesus. God had spoken through prophets. He's spoken in Christ, Hebrews 1. John 10, that his sheep hear his voice and they follow after him. This is what's at play when we witness and when we are witnessed too. I want to make one brief comment on John the Baptist's humility as the one pointing these two men as well as others to Christ. Leon Moore said it well. That it's a mark of a truly great man that he can gently but firmly detach his disciples so that they may go after someone greater. To know and be known by Christ as a discipler requires that you speak about Christ. So if your intention is in any way to help other people in their walk with Jesus Christ, it will always include, it will always involve you speaking about Jesus from the word of God. And if you're here and you're not a Christian, looking and listening are good. Looking at him, hearing his words, both are good, but they're not enough. Don't stop there. You must also follow him. So third, follow. The two disciples followed Jesus. We see that in verse 37 and 38. They followed Jesus, which is also picked up again in verse 40. In their, uh, Rogers and Rogers, in their linguistic and exegetical book on the Greek New Testament, had this to say about the word following. They followed in the sense of literally walking with him as his disciples. They turned their loyalty to him as a result of hearing the conversation. So they looked at him, they heard the words, and now they are following behind him. What they heard was enough insofar as it led them to follow after Jesus. But as we are about to see, following in the same sense as looking and listening is not enough. You must seek the Lord. So you can't stop with just looking. You can't stop with just hearing. You can't be satisfied with just following at a distance. You must seek the Lord. Jesus asked the two disciples what they were seeking. So now the relationship becomes personal. Up to now, there was a distance there. The relationship was on the peripheral. But now the Lamb of God looks at them and pointedly asks, what are you seeking? That he didn't ask, who are you seeking, is intentional. To ask who would allow them to answer the question correctly. By asking what, 
he is at the very least making them aware of, if not also revealing the desires and motives of their heart. What did they want with Jesus? What were they interested in? What questions did they have for him? It's fair to ask these questions because it's what Jesus asked. We don't have to know the motives of Andrew and the other disciple. Had the disciples done anything wrong at this point aside from having an obviously sinful nature? Or let me ask it in this way. Were they wrong to look at Jesus? No. Were they wrong to listen to John the Baptist's words? No. Were they wrong to follow Jesus? No. But neither of these, apart from the applied blood of the lamb and a spirit-wrought quickening, were enough to understand their pursuit of Jesus as those who love him and have as their new God-given desire to obey all of his commands. So I'm thankful for each and every soul that is here this morning. But what do you want in life? What are you seeking? I'm not asking you to fill that blank in with the correct answer, but what bubbles to the surface with that question? Are you interested in a domesticated Jesus? Are you interested in a political Jesus? Are you interested in fill in the blank? Have you come seeking something? Or are you beholding the lamb who takes away the sin of the world? Are you looking at the Messiah, the anointed one of God? Only Jesus can reveal the motives and desires of our heart. John is a pointer. Jesus reveals, he exposes, he atones, he saves as the lamb and as the Messiah. And not taking anything away from John, but John is not Jesus. John cannot save and there is no life in the name of John. Proverbs eight seventeen. I love those who love me and those who diligently seek me will find me. So it's not enough to look, not enough just to hear, not enough to follow, and not enough to only seek. To know and be known by Jesus requires that you come and see. Come and see. The Jesus followed the question of what are you seeking with an invitation. He invited the two disciples to come and see, and they came and they saw. The disciples' question, where do you stay? Another way to understand their question would have been to have asked, where do you abide? That's an interesting word, isn't it? Abide. Is this a term that John is familiar with we'll see later on that he is quite familiar with this term do the disciples understand the import of what abide means at this time they don't they're just asking about his lodging but just as Jesus asks the what question what are you seeking in order to draw out their heart expose their motives he is inviting them to where he is temporarily saying staying so that they can begin to understand and know what it means to abide or habitate with God. This invitation by Jesus to come is a theme familiar 
in the Bible. I think just about all of these verses I have noted in here were either read or prayed by the Isaiah 55 passage. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why do you spend money for what is not bread and your wages for what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live and I will make an everlasting covenant with you according to the faithful mercies shown to David. Later on in Isaiah 55, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord for he will abundantly pardon. How many of the words that we've read in John chapter one do we find also in Isaiah 55? Come, listen, seek. Or later on in John chapter six, When Jesus says, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So hear that precious invitation from the Lamb of God. Come and see. All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And he who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. Jesus says, for I've come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. The words of Jesus in John chapter 15. The language of abide, where in uh, three occasions, this is what Jesus has to say. Abide in me. Let my words abide in you. Abide in my love. So Andrew and the unnamed disciple, they, they saw where Jesus was temporarily staying. But in their time with him, he revealed so much more. He let them see who he is. They were asking for a place Jesus was interested in revealing his person. So here's an application for those of you who are here. Uh, I I wanted to say this, uh, lest anyone here think that I am in any way advocating that you have to clean up your desires and you have to clean up your motives before you are ready to seek Jesus. That's not what I'm saying at all. Be helped that the disciples did not have pure motives. We don't understand. We don't know all that was going on in their heart. Jesus changed that. Come to him. See him. That song that we oftentimes sing, "I I will arise and go to Jesus. Hear the phrase, come you weary, heavy laden, lost and ruined by the fall. That's an understanding of our condition before a holy God. But listen to the next words. If you tarry or if you wait until you're better, you will never come at all. Christ saves. Come to Jesus. See Jesus. To know and be known by Christ means 
that you're looking, hearing, following, seeking, and coming will be met by a gentle Savior giving you the right to see him. Romans 10, 17. So faith, come and see, come and believe. So faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. But our text doesn't end with they came and saw. It continues with Andrew finding his brother and telling him what he had discovered. So lastly, tell. Andrew found his brother Simon and told him that they found the Messiah. He then brought Simon to Jesus, who changed his name to Cephas. So as a matter of importance and evidence of being changed by Jesus, Andrew seeks out his brother and does two things. He said, we found him. We found the Messiah. And then he brings his brother to Jesus. Messiah is understood as Christ or the anointed one. Carson, D.A. Carson here draws out the Old Testament usage and understanding of anointed one in the Old Testament. It would, you know, in 1 Samuel 16, it referenced and described the king of Israel, Leviticus 4, the high priest, and then in one instance in Psalm 105, the patriarchs. Anointing was also used in the consecration or setting apart of Aaron the priest. And when David became king and Elisha the prophet, Andrew wouldn't have understood all that is involved with Jesus as the Messiah at this time. But as he spent more time with Jesus, he and the other disciples would grow in their understanding. Leon Morris said it was easy to call Jesus Messiah. It was quite another thing to understand what this should mean as he interpreted his vocation. So in this designation, and by Andrew rightly affixing the title Messiah, even if he doesn't fully know all that it means, he is pulling together that Jesus is the one prophesied in the Old Testament as the king of God's people, the savior of God's people. He is the one who will lead the Lord's people, and he is doing so as the lamb, a tender gentle lamb who will suffer, be crucified, will die, will then be buried, will rise again, will appear to many others, and will ascend to the right hand of the Father and will sit enthroned and continue to make intercession for his people until one day when he returns and brings his people to God. One way Andrew revealed this was was by telling Simon that they found him. But in reality, Jesus found him. Remember John 6? All that the Father gives to me will come to me. And he who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. There is a sense here that which this conversation that we, or the conversation that we have with other people is going to reveal what we have found. It's going to reveal the very things that we are discovering. It's going to certainly, what we talk about, it's going to certainly show what matters to us. And we don't know all that Andrew shared with his brother about that day spent with Jesus. We know what he said about the lodging or the details, but we do know that that he told his brother what was most important in his discovery. 
and what would be the most important thing for his brother, and that is that they found the Messiah. But he didn't stop there. He brought Simon to Jesus. There's certainly significance in Jesus changing Simon's name to Cephas, which means rock, and what would become of Peter in the coming days, and what Peter uh, when he wrote chapter 1 in his letter in First Peter, 30 years following his conversion, when it was pretty clear that he was not callous to God's work, but still reveling in the great salvation of God. The accent here, though, falls on Christ, who knows us and wants to be known. To know Christ is to look at him. To know Christ is to behold him. It is to follow him. It is to seek him. It is to believe in him. It is to tell about him. And as we'll see later on in this gospel, it will include loving and obeying all of Christ's commands. To be known by Christ is to be loved and changed. Not just a better version of yourself, but to have a renewed mind, a new nature, a new object of worship. It's Christ removing the barrier so he becomes the object of your pursuit. So come and see is a unique and personal invitation to know and to be known. The Lamb of God wants you to be known. How? As the sinner that we are. And he wants us to know him, certainly, as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but as the Messiah, the Christ, God's anointed one. So as Christians, we would do well to regularly point people to Jesus, to speak of the mighty acts of God through Jesus, and to share with people what, has God, what God has revealed to us about Jesus, and insofar as we are able to bring people to Jesus. And for those among us who are not yet Christians, why look at someone else? Why pay attention to any other words in the Bible? Why look at someone other than Jesus? Why spend wasted time following and seeking after other idols and saviors that have no power? Hear the invitation of the Lamb of God, God's anointed one, and come and see him. Let's pray. Father, we're quite thankful for your word. And we pray that you would use your word, your scripture, that's simple and powerful, and that your spirit would work in the hearts of the individuals today. We pray that those who are not in Christ would hear your invitation to come and see Jesus. And we pray, Lord, for 
those here who are followers, not just followers, but have placed their faith and trust in Christ. Lord, help us to be faithful, to regularly point others to the only one who can save anyone from their sins. We ask this for your glory and we ask it for our eternal joy in Christ. Amen.